say welcome to those of you who are uh, in the room with us. Also want to extend a warm welcome to our online church family. In fact, if uh, you're tuned in via live stream this morning, would encourage you to just say hello, maybe drop a comment, let us know where you're watching from. Happy that uh, you're here with us as well. And uh, I'd like to just start with a, a question I think probably most of us have thought about at some point uh, this year in, in some way or another. And that is, what, what do you miss most this year? Or, or maybe what do you miss most about last year that we, we don't have access to this year because of just the insanity that has been 2020? Um, I, I was thinking about that question this, this week as I studied. And uh, one of the things that I, I think I maybe miss most is just taking my kids to the movie theater. You know, I think maybe th those are open now in some capacity, I'm not sure, but um, we haven't been to a movie theater in probably a year. And uh, so I, I miss taking my kids to the movie theater, getting the popcorn, just kind of the whole event. Um, but, but I think uh, the thing that I probably miss most among many things that I've missed in 2020 um, is, is traveling. And so uh, if, if you know any of my story, uh, I, I grew up traveling. In fact, by the time I was seven years old, I was living in my third country and uh, just spent my childhood in airports and, and traveling and uh, married my wife who the same way, grew up in, in Africa. And, and we got married and moved to Asia for two and a half years. And then we came back to the States where I was a, a mission pastor at, a, at another local church body. And, and I kind of what I did for a living was lead mission trips all, all over the world. And so I, I miss being able to get on an airplane and go see other cultures and experience other cuisines and share the gospel with people that have no hope. And I, I, miss, I miss all of those things uh, very much. But I was thinking back, I think one of the, my most favorite places I've ever been was um, when we went to, to Taiwan in 2012. Anybody in here been to Taiwan just out of curiosity? Got one, there was nobody in the nine o'clock. So we got, we got at least one that has been to Taiwan. And if you've never been to Taiwan, Taiwan is an incredible country. Uh, in fact, I got some pictures. I got the, the, the mission team that we led over there in 2012. I don't know what was going on with my haircut, um, but, but it was 2012, all right? Don't judge me. Don't judge me and don't laugh. So, but we, we, we and then got some pictures of the scenery over there. And we were in this place called Sun Moon Lake, all right? It's just, the pictures really don't even do it justice. Uh, beautiful. So it's a vacation destination for mainland China, okay? So, so Chinese people would come here because it's beautiful, it's close by, and they would vacation. And what we were doing is we were handing out uh, Chinese Bibles to uh, the vacationers because statistically we know that for every Bible that goes back into China where you can't, it's illegal to print and sell Bibles, um, for every one that we send back into China, statistically 10 people would read that Bible. So we just did that for a week, but it was incredible. If you know anything about Taiwan, it's not a, a third world country. It's not even a second world country. In many ways, they're more advanced than we are. I mean, they got like these bullet trains that go 200 miles an hour and get you to a, another city in like 20 minutes. Um, it was incredible. World-class cuisine. We stayed in this super modern high-rise hotel. That, I mean, that's all they have over there. They don't have, there's no like Motel 8. It's all like just super awesome. And so I'm sitting there and every day I'm eating this incredible like Asian cuisine and we're going out to these beautiful breathtaking scenes and like hanging out with Chinese people and giving them the good news of the gospel. Go back to our super modern hotel where I could look out over the bay. I mean, it was incredible, but I can tell you as awesome as that trip was, there was still almost this lingering, unexplainable longing for home in the back of my mind the whole time. I can't really explain it, 
But just this, this inescapable, as much, listen, nothing was wrong. I loved the people that I was with. I was enjoying everything about the trip. But there was just this little gnawing, inescapable longing for home. Because at the end of the day, no matter how awesome it is, man, there's something about home, isn't there? Like, I just, at the end of the day, I want to go home and I want to talk to my wife. And I want to I I hug my kids and I want to wrestle with my dog. And I, and I want to sleep in my own bed. And I want to get up and drink coffee out of my own coffee mug. Right, so, so here's, here's kind of the, the, the big idea. I'll, I'll give it to you on the front end this morning. We'll put it on the screens for you. We're, we are all longing for home. I really believe that. We are all longing for home. See, the reality is it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much power you have in your career. It doesn't matter how sweet your house is. There's just this seed of dissatisfaction that lives within the human condition so that no matter how much you have in this world, no matter how much you achieve in this world, there's just this sense of longing for something else. And for those of you who have lived long enough and you've achieved things and you've conquered worlds and you've done all these things, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because here, here's the reality of the, uh, of the deal here. Like, if you, if you want more money, you probably can figure out a way to make more money, Right? If you're industrious and you're a hard worker, and you can probably figure out how to make more money. But here's the thing, when you achieve that and you make that, more, that, that extra money that you think is gonna make you happy, what do you want at that point? You want more money. When you, when you work really hard, you're like, man, I, I, want, this, I want this really cool car, and, and, and I feel like if I can get that cool car, man, all my problems will go away, all the chicks will think I'm really cool, and so I want this really cool car, and so you work hard, you, you save your money, maybe you even go into debt, which I wouldn't advise, but you, you do all this stuff, and you get that car, and it satisfies for a week or two or a month, and then after a while, you want the next best car. And if you achieve that, then eventually you want a couple of cars. And if you achieve that, then you want a fleet of cars. And here's the lie that many of you, especially those of you who are younger, uh, are probably believing this morning. And it's a lie that I believed as a, as a young man. And so I think many of you, if you're in the younger generation, you're probably believing the lie that, hey, listen, if I can just find that special someone, if, if I can just find that special boyfriend, if I can just find that special girlfriend, then, then ultimately all my problems are gonna go away. This, this inner ache that I can't explain, that nothing will take away, eventually that person is gonna solve my inner problems. And we find that boyfriend, we find that girlfriend, and it's nice for a month or six months, or if you're lucky, maybe a year. But then if you're being honest, in the back of your mind, at some point, you begin to wonder, is there perhaps someone else out there that could even make me happier? Is there someone else out there that actually I would have a better connection with? And if, and if we're not careful, friend, we, we can kind of get on this hamster wheel of of life and we just run and run and run and we chase and we chase and we chase and we are on the path to nowhere. I like, I like the way uh, old uh, English pastor Spurgeon says that. He says this, this will be on the screens for you. He says, you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied, but you make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Alexander the Great, with all the world at his feet, cries for another world to conquer. C.S. Lewis brilliantly states it this way. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
home. We're all on some level homesick, y'all. And Jesus addresses this unquenchable, unexplainable ache for home, and he offers a solution to find our way home in John chapter 14. And so if you have a Bible imprint on your device, let me encourage you to go there, John chapter 14. That's where we'll park and we'll spend our time this morning. Now, Jesus at this point in the narrative, he's, he's getting ready to go to the cross. Okay, so he's, he spent his, his three years of earthly ministry. It's about to culminate with the cross and the empty tomb. And you guys know the scene. He's, he's in the upper room with his disciples and he's sharing what's commonly referred to as, as the Last Supper. In fact, just, just so you know, we're gonna celebrate that in about 25 minutes at the end of the service. So if you're watching online and you don't have any ailments, now would be a great time. Run to the, the pantry, grab some, some crackers and some, some juice or coffee or something like that. We're gonna celebrate in just a little bit. But Jesus is, he, he's kind of winding down his ministry before the culmination, the, the cross and the resurrection, and he's eating this Last Supper with his disciples. Judas gets up in the middle of the meal, and he leaves to begin betraying Jesus, the process of betraying Jesus, and uh, the disciples are, are freaking out a little bit. All right, they're, they're, they're discouraged. They're a bit confused. They've been following Jesus for three plus years now, and, and, and in their minds, this was all coming to a big culmination where Jesus was going to establish his kingdom on earth, and it was gonna be incredible, and all the bad things in the world were gonna cease because King Jesus was gonna be on his throne, and they were gonna be his right-hand man, and it was gonna be awesome. And now they're sitting here with Jesus, and he's saying, no, 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 you missed it. I'm about to leave you. I'm actually, I'm about, I'm about to leave you. I'm gonna go somewhere else, and, and you're, you're actually gonna be alone. And they're confused, and they're upset. Their hearts are troubled because they don't get it yet. They've been with him for three years and they still don't get it yet. And I wonder how, how many of you, maybe either in the room or online with us this morning, how many of you are in the same place as the disciples were sitting in the upper room with Jesus? You're just in a place where you're a bit confused. And you, you really don't understand what God is up to and you, you really don't know what he's doing in your life. You can't explain it. It's not what you thought it was gonna be. And you're like, Lord, this is, this is not what we agreed to. When I followed you, my path, my life, the trajectory of my life was supposed to go this way and yet I'm way over here and I don't get it. This is not what I signed up for, Lord. And maybe some of you are there, just like the disciples. You don't get it. It's confusing. It's painful. And if that's where you are, this is for you. John 14, beginning in verse one. Jesus looking at his disciples. Right before he goes to the cross, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Any troubled hearts out there? Jesus has got you. He says this. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, guys, listen, look, I know you're troubled. I can see it written all over your faces. I, I know you're scared. I know you're afraid. I know the, the road ahead looks, it appears really daunting. I know that you're aching for home, for the new kingdom, but I'm telling you, if you will just keep your eyes on me, I'm gonna get you all the way home. And then in verse five, Thomas, Thomas says to him, Lord, 
we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, let's be honest. Thomas kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't he? To be fair, he kind of brings a lot of it on himself because it seems like every time he pops up, he's doing something really moronic like doubting Jesus. In fact, he's, he's developed a bit of a nickname, hasn't he? You know Thomas's nickname? Say it loud. See, I, I didn't even have to tell y'all. Y'all already knew. Doubting Thomas. Now, now, how would you like for that to be your nickname for all of human history? <laughs> Could you imagine? You, you, you make a mistake, you got a couple of questions a couple of times, and all of a sudden for two, the next 2,000 years, people know you as Doubting Susan, <laughs> Doubting Josh. Could you imagine? Hey, you know Chris? What Chris are you talking about? Doubting Chris. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, why didn't you say doubt? Of course I know doubt. Now I know who you're talking about. How terrible would that be? So he gets a bad rap, but the reality is I kind of appreciate Thomas because if I'm being really honest, I can kind of relate to Thomas. And I think if most of you are being honest, you could say, yeah, I kind of relate to Thomas as well because Thomas doesn't always get it the first time. Thomas doesn't always get it right the first go. Sometimes Thomas has doubts. Sometimes Thomas has questions. And yet Jesus still loves Thomas He's still patient with him. He still pursues him. And kind of at the end of this scene, Jesus is like, hey, look, I'm giving you all this really deep truth about what's about to happen and you stay with me and it's gonna be hard. And, and then he says, uh, you, know, you know where I'm about to go. You know the way. He says that to them. And, and I, love, I love Thomas because the, the scene that I picture in my mind is Tom, they're like sitting around this little circle, right? This, they got the candles lit and all the good food, about, about to have their last meal. And, and so Jesus says, hey, listen, y'all, y'all know the way. Y'all already know the way to where I'm about to go. And Tom, you can just kind of picture Thomas raising his hand up and be like, time out, Jesus. No, no, we don't actually know where you're going at all. In, in fact, Jesus, you're always speaking in like riddles and parables. Like how, how can we even understand what you're saying? Like, no, no, Jesus, we, we actually don't know where you're going at all. Why, why don't you just tell us where you're going? And I love Jesus' response in verse six. He says this. Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that Jesus starts by acknowledging their troubled hearts. Don't you? That's where he starts. I, I love that Jesus doesn't just like skip over their fears and their concerns and go, you know what? I've been pouring into you guys for the last three and a half years. I've lived life with you guys. I've devoted everything. I've poured everything that I've got into you and you guys still don't get it. In fact, you know what? Just get out of here. Yo, get out of the upper room. I'm gonna talk to my father. We're gonna push back the crucifixion and resurrection by two or three years because I'm gonna go find some new disciples that finally get it and they're gonna get it right and this is gonna be a whole lot better. But you guys get out of here. I love that Jesus doesn't do that. He sees them right where they are. He meets them right where they are. He engages their greatest need. And I don't know where you are, but friend, maybe that's exactly what you need to hear this morning. Jesus sees you. He sees you right where you are in the middle of all your pain, in the middle of all your questions, in the middle of all the doubt that's swirling around your heart and your mind. He sees you. And he cares for you. And he offers you a better hope for tomorrow. 
Now listen, we're not even to the, the good stuff yet. This is how good Jesus is. So Jesus, here's our boy doubting Thomas, and he offers him not chastisement, not discipline. He offers him the way home. Now, I'll just tell you on the front end, my outline is not creative. At all this morning, I'm just copying Jesus. I figure it's probably all right for a preacher to plagiarize Jesus. So here we go. Truth number one that Jesus gives us is this. He is the way. Jesus is the way. He is not a way. He is not one of many ways. He is the way. So he looks at Thomas and all of his doubt, and he doesn't get it. And he says, Thomas, I know that you're looking for the way to where I'm going. Thomas, I know that you're looking for the way home. I'm telling you, you're looking at the way right now. You're looking at the way right now. I am that way. Now, what does that mean, Jesus? Jesus is saying, listen, Thomas, I am the way home. Thomas, I, I, I am the way back to God. Thomas, I, I am the antidote to that homesickness, that ache inside of you that you just can't meet or fix any other way. Thomas, I am the way past all of your fears to all of your hopes. I am the way home, Thomas. Now, here, here, here I think is a, is a good illustration just to kind of drive home the point. This is the condition that all of us are born into, in, into this world, right? So, so we, we are over here, and, and God is way over here, and there's this giant chasm between us and God, and that chasm is created by what the Bible calls sin, all right? Now, let me, let me just pause here for a minute because I think there's a, a massive segment of the American church that just does not understand the gravity of sin. Okay, now I don't sense this problem in the church in Africa. I don't sense this problem in the church in Asia. I don't sense this problem in the church in the Middle East or in South America, but I sense in the Western world, in the church, this has become a problem. So I just wanna take a couple minutes and address it. Sin is what separates us from a perfect and holy God. So let me just say, sin is not just some little casual thing that we should brush off in our lives. Sin is not like, oops, I, I guess I shouldn't have done that, or I, I guess I, sh I could have done that better, or I should have, oopsie, just that's a little mistake, but God is a God of love, so I'm just, I'm not even really going to worry about it. The reality is, God is perfect, and he is holy, and because of that, he cannot even be in the presence of sin. And sin, at, a co at its core, is really us choosing our way over God. So sin at its core is saying, hey God, I hear you, I don't care, I think I'm smarter than you. Yeah God, I, I see your way for my life and I reject it because I think I know better than you. My way is better, in fact God, I'm actually a better God than you. You're not as smart as me. Sin is spiritual treason. And a perfect and a holy and a set apart God cannot be in the presence of sin. So we are all in the same predicament. God is way over here, righteous, holy, perfect, and we are way over here, separated by a chasm of our own sin and rebellion. We're all in the same predicament. We are separated from God. We are separated from home by our sin. And here's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14. You can go ahead and do the next image there. Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am the way back to God. That chasm of your own making that chasm of you choosing yourself over God, that, that chasm of you putting yourself on my throne, the place that only I belong, that huge chasm that separates you from home, from God, I am the way back. I am the way home. 
And Jesus is saying, listen, y'all, I, I, I know the world is a hard place. I know there are lots of temptations out there. I know there are a lot of ways out there that promise you success and happiness. And I know that your hearts are troubled. And I know that you're aching for the way home. You're homesick. And I want you to know I am the way home. I want you to know there is no other way. In fact, the very next thing Jesus says is no person comes to the Father except through, except through me. Now, this is one of the most controversial statements Jesus ever made in a sea of controversial statements that he says in the New Testament. Listen, especially in our age, in the Western world in 2020, we're even suggesting the possibility of absolute truth will get you canceled. Which is, which is kind of funny when you think about it because when someone says there is no absolute truth, that in and of itself is an absolute truth claim. Have you thought about that? When someone says, no, Christian, you can't believe that. There is no absolute truth. How do you know, bro? You just made an absolute truth claim. You just contradicted your very argument. You just sliced your legs right out from underneath you. That makes no logical sense at all. The fact of the matter is this. We accept absolute truth in every area of our lives except the area of spirituality. I'll prove it to you. For those of you who have kids in elementary school, if your kid goes in kindergarten or first grade and they take their first math test, right? And, and, and the first problem is two plus two equals what? And they write 467. And their teacher says, well, Johnny, why, listen, you, we've gone over this. You know two plus two equals four. If, you're, if your kid says to the teacher, hey, listen, four is your truth. But actually, 467 is my truth. How's that gonna go for your little kid? They're gonna be uh, in first grade on repeat. Again and again and again. Same thing, if, you, uh, if your rent is $1,000 a month and you go to your landlord next month and you go, you know what, $1,000 is your truth, but I'm kind of feeling like 150 might be my truth this month. They're gonna say, okay, that's fine. You can have your truth, but you're gonna have it with an eviction notice, right? We believe in absolute truth in every area of life. We believe it in physics, in math, the law of gravity, right? You're not gonna jump out of an airplane without a parachute on, right? Because you're not gonna say, hey, your truth is gravity, but I believe I'm just gonna float down like a little fairy and land on a mountain. No, we accept absolute truth in every single area of life except for spirituality. And my question for you is, why? Why? And see, I, I, I think what it ultimately kind of boils down to is the fact that we want to be our own gods, don't we? We wanna be our own gods because if we admit that there is absolute truth, we are admitting that there's an absolute truth giver, there's, there's God that we're gonna give an account to one day and we don't like that truth. It makes us uncomfortable. And yet Jesus loves us enough to say, no, 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 there's absolute truth in every area of life, including spirituality. And I'm telling you, I'm the way. I'm the way home. I'm the only way home. I love you. Come with me. I want you to be with me. Let's go home. See, a lot of people read this, and, and, and Christians will talk about this statement from Jesus, and they'll be like, the world will look at that and say, 
man, how could you guys be so narrow-minded? How, how could you guys be so judgmental? But I, look, I don't, I don't read this statement from Jesus as a judgmental condemnation upon those who are separated from him. I read this as an open invitation to come home that's available for everybody. Jesus is saying, I'm the way. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I've provided the way back to the Father. Won't you, won't you come home? I love you. Let's, let's go home. Before we move on to the second point, let me just ask a question. How many of you have gone on a tour of the Biltmore estate, the Biltmore house? Just raise your hands. A lot of you. We got season passes last year, and so I, I've been through the Biltmore house a couple of different times. And every time, it's, it's, uh, it's spectacular, right? So if you've been, you, you kind of walk in, and you walk into this open atrium that's like 80 feet high, and it's glass ceilings that you can see through, and got like a little garden. And then you kind of go off to the right first, and so you walk into this, this billiard room, right? It's got oak walls, and it's just stunning, beautiful. And you go right from the billiard room, you go into the dining room, right? So you go into the dining room, it's a spectacular, huge tables, like 100-foot ceilings, massive pipe organs that extend to the ceiling. Christmas time, they got like a 70-foot Christmas tree. You kind of walk through there. They got a music room. They got a cigar room for men. I got women too, if you like cigars. So they got all this cool thing. They have a huge library, personal library. This is insane. It's an incredible home. Now, let me just ask you, as awesome as the Biltmore House is, how much more impressive is the house gonna be that Jesus builds for his people? Right? As awesome as that house is, I mean, look, there's a picture of it right there. It looks like a castle. As impressive as it is, how much more impressive is the house going to be that Jesus builds for his bride, for his people? I'm telling you, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be insane. It's going to be incredible. Listen, believer, follower of Jesus, that is your home. That is our home. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am the way home. I'm the way there. And Jesus is not done there. He says, not only am I the way, but truth number two, he says, I am, I'm the truth. I am the truth. He's like, Thomas, bro, you, you look confused. Don't, don't be confused, Thomas. I'm, I'm the truth. Thomas, all that uncertainty in your heart finds its answer in me. Now, what does that mean Practically, look at verse seven. I think Jesus clarifies it for us. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now what's Jesus saying there? This is a radical claim. This is the kind of claim that got Jesus nailed to a Roman cross. He is saying, I am the perfect embodiment of the father. He's saying, if you wanna know what God is like, look at me. I am God wrapped in human flesh. I am the truth of who God is and what God is like. And in that day, as in our day, are people not searching for who God is? I mean, like even if they wouldn't articulate it the way I just did, are people not searching for meaning, for hope, for a, a greater power, whether you call that God or a higher power or the universe or whatever? Are people not asking those existential questions deep down in their hearts? We all are, right? We can look at this world. We can look at this universe and instinctively know there's a creator to all of this. 
And people were asking those questions. Is there a God? If there is a God, what's he like? Is he good? Is he angry? Does he love me? Does he hate me? How can I know God? Is he even knowable? Is he relational? Is he far off? And Jesus is saying, yes, you can know God. Yes, there's a God. Yes, he loves you. Yes, you can know him. In fact, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Colossians says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I love that. In other words, Jesus is the perfect picture of everything that God is. He is the truth of who God is and what God is like. Now that's a bold claim, isn't it? I mean, if anybody walked in here and said to you, hey listen, I am the truth. I'm the truth. Like all the questions that you have in life, I'm the answer to all of those. I am the truth, right? That person is either off their rocker insane or they are truly God. And Jesus unapologetically makes these bold claims over and over and over again. I am the way, I am the only way. I am the truth, I am the only truth. And see, I don't know about you, but for me in a world where truth is so convoluted, especially in our society, our culture in 2020, man, and we hear constantly like, hey, hey, listen, the truth is over here. And then we're like, no, 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 the truth is actually over here. No, you're gonna find the truth on Fox News. No, no, no actually you're gonna find it over in CNN. No, the Republicans have the truth. No, 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 the Democrats have the truth. No, 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 well, well, this virologist says this about this and Fauci says that. Well, no, 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 this guy over here actually has the truth. He says the opposite. So we live our life scrolling from one news source to the other that contradicts each other and we just kind of live in this state of confusion and I think finally a lot of people in our culture just kind of give up and they're like, hey, make your own truth. Clearly there's no real truth. Everything is a contradiction of everything else in our culture, in our media. So make your own truth or even worse, there's no truth. There's no truth, so just do what you want. Is it any wonder that our society and our culture is so flipping confused. And Jesus steps into that chaos and he says, you wanna know the truth of what God is like? I am that truth. Look to me. I am that truth. And you can know truth because you can know me. How cool is that? So Jesus says, listen, I'm the way. I'm the way home. In a world of chaos and deception, I'm the truth. Keep your eyes off Fox News, keep your eyes off CNN, look to me. I am the truth, I'm the truth, and he saves the kicker for last. Finally, he says, hey listen guys, not only am I the way, the only way, not I'm only the truth, the only truth, I'm actually, I am the life. I am the life. Now see, I think most of us, especially if you're like me, grew up in the church, we, we read statements like that in John 14, and we think automatically eternal life, don't we? Isn't that what we read that as? When he says, I'm the life, we think, oh, okay, yeah. I, I get it. I'm, I, I learned that in Sunday school when I was six. I, I follow Jesus, and I accept him into my heart, and, and then one day when I die, I get to go to heaven, and I get to have eternal life, and all of that is true. Right? Jesus actually just talked about that. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, that's true, but I think far too often we forget about the space in between, don't we? 
the space in between now and then. See, I think a lot of us have this, especially if you grew up in the church, kind of this warped view that Jesus saves us or we get saved, we walk the aisle, we pray some prayer, and then what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to go into some kind of, kind of shell of self-denial and misery, and we're just kind of trying to plow through this life and be miserable people, and we're waiting on heaven, and finally, once we get there, it's gonna be all worthwhile that we had a horrible, miserable life, but it's gonna be worth it because we're gonna go to heaven. Listen, that is not what I think Jesus is saying here. I think a lot of Christians and a lot of churches have missed the boat entirely on this. Yes, eternal life and the new heavens and the new earth are going to be amazing. I think it's gonna be mind-blowing. It's gonna exceed your wildest dreams. And yet, even though that's true, I believe Jesus is offering abundant life in the now. Today, tomorrow, next week. Christmas time, after Christmas, when we roll into the uncertainty of 2021, he offers us that abundant life now. If you don't believe me, listen to Jesus' best friend, John, 1 John 5, this will be on the screens. This is what John says. He says, and this is the testimony. He's saying, this is the truth. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has, listen, that's present tense, so not just a future heavenly hope, a present hope. Whoever has present, the Son, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, if you remember back two weeks ago in John chapter 10, Jesus says the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it what? Abundantly. Present tense. See, so Jesus is offering, yes, a, a, a life in the future tense, an eternal life, but he is also offering life in the present tense. See, following Jesus is not just a golden ticket into heaven one day when you die, it's an invitation into the good life today, into the deeper life, the more meaningful life, the life that you were actually designed for and created for today, not when you die. Now, let's sum this all up. Jesus is saying to his disciples 2,000 years ago, and he's saying to you and I today, I am the way home. I am the way home. I am the truth that will get you home. I am the life that will lead you home. I am the way home. A couple months ago, uh, my family and I, we, we Packed our minivan up and jumped in the car and drove south. You know, 2020 has just been a hard year, I think, for all of us, right? Sometimes you just need to get away. And uh, so we, we drove south, and we drove down to, to South Florida. And actually, the little beach um, condo or apartment, whatever, that we were going to stay at for a week, our home for that week was, actually, we got there, and it was, it was on a little island. And so we drove down, and in order to, to get to where we were going, there was this this massive bridge, right, that, that actually is a little intimidating to drive on because it looked a little sketchy because it kind of towered way up in the air and kind of went down to the island, right? That was the only bridge to our beach house that week. That was the only way there. Now, I'll tell you, when, when, I, when I got there and I saw just that one bridge there, I didn't get out of the car and say, why is that the only bridge? 
What kind of narrow-minded road engineer would only put one bridge to my beach house? How dare he? I didn't get out and berate the guy that was collecting our toll and say, I demand another bridge. In fact, I would like an option, a sea of options. I want 100 bridges I can choose from. I want big ones, I want little ones, I want high ones, I want low ones, I want ones with walking rails. I didn't, also I didn't get out of the car and say, you know what, this is so narrow-minded. There's only one way. I'm gonna make my own way. Cheryl, kids, get out of the van, man. We're, get your life vest on. We're gonna swim to the island. We're gonna, we're gonna make our own way. And I didn't do that because the water looked really deep and I'm scared of sharks. And I didn't want to die. I want to lay on the beach. Listen, I was grateful for the one way. I wasn't upset. I wasn't offended. I wasn't mad. I was grateful that the God of this universe has given us one way home. He's given us one pathway home, and it's a beautiful pathway. It's through knowing his son who promises that he is the way that he is the truth, and that he is the life. I love the way Spurgeon says it. He says, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Friend, Jesus wants life for you now. Jesus wants heaven in your life now. He wants heaven in your heart now. He wants heaven in your soul now. So if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, Chris, I'm like, I, 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 I kind of feel you on this. I kind of feel this little ache in my heart. And yeah, and I'm trying all these other pathways, all these other ways. And I think they're going to be happy. And they do for like a minute. And then they don't. And I was just kind of frustrated with all that. Like I feel like deep down, Chris, I was born for something more than what I'm experiencing right now. I can't explain it, but I just feel like there's, there's got to be more. I'm homesick, man. I want to go home. Jesus is saying to you, I'll take you there. I'll take you there. I, I am the way home. home. Home is with me. Home is with me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Daughter, son, don't let your hearts be troubled. I am the way home. I am the truth that will get you there. And I'm the life that will lead you there. And so come with me. Because I am the way home. We're gonna celebrate that reality now. If you came in, you should have gotten your little communion cup. You can just peel off the top plastic layer. That will reveal a little cracker. If you're home, just grab whatever you got at home. Doesn't matter what it is. And this is, this is a time for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ to celebrate what he's done for us, okay? And so if you're here, if you're tuned in online and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you, uh, this, this time is not for you. Just sit back, relax, observe, pray, meditate, whatever you want. But this is a time for us to remember the broken body of Jesus on our behalf and the shed blood of Jesus for us. And the scriptures say, kind of in that same scene that we were just in, in John 14, the Last Supper, kind of at the end of it, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it apart, he gives thanks to the Father, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after supper he took the cup he said this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, God. Church, would you stand with me as we get ready to worship our God, Heavenly Father? We come to you and our confession, Father, this morning as a people, as a church, is that we are hopelessly lost without you. So God, would you, would you forgive us for constantly trying to find other ways to satisfy our soul and take away that homesickness? Would you help us repent from looking to other truth sources instead of looking to you and you alone? Would you help us turn from looking for other sources of life and hope and satisfaction anywhere except for in you, God? And we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to chase us down, to hunt us when we were separated from you by our sin, by our rebellion, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to be our way back home, to be the truth that would get us there, to be the life that would get us back home to you, God. So we love you. We pray all these things in the strong and the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.